It's part of a, a, a meeting Jesus had with a woman at the well. You may remember that. And here he's in conversation with her. Verses 19 to 26 of John 4. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped you on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. Good morning. This is very exciting. What a workout for my lighthouse. I never realised action songs were such a workout. That was fantastic. Um, I wanted to start this morning by talking about a video I saw on YouTube called Worship Fails. And in this video, there are a bunch of clips all stitched together where there's a band and they're leading worship and something goes horribly wrong. And so the kind of things you can imagine happen, so someone was saying the wrong words, um, people singing in the wrong tune, guitar strings breaking and the whole guitar goes out of tune, someone playing keyboard and playing it so ferociously it falls off and everyone gasps in horror. And there's this one where this, this giant wooden cross that's kind of leaning against the back wall and it starts to fall, it starts to just and smash into the drum kit and it's all this horrific moment and it's kind of excruciating to watch but you kind of can't help but look at the same time and and I was trying to work out quite why I found it so funny and I think part of the reason is because I've been in that situation before I've been playing in a band I was doing the introduction for Cornerstone in my old church growing up as a teenager and what I didn't realize is I pressed the transpose button which changes the whole key of the instrument but I forgot to change it back and so I started with the introduction to Cornerstone and the rest of the band joined in but when they joined in they joined in in the wrong key it was it all sounded terrible and they didn't know what to do so they just stopped and looked at me and the congregation just stopped and looked at me and I was there like oh it's this awful, I, I kind of feel like I, I've ruined this moment. And I think that's kind of a problem we get caught up in nowadays with, with worship. Is, it's, it's kind of like this idea of creating an artificial, emotional moment. You know, if we have the right sounds and lighting and we get smoke in and we wear the right clothes, we can kind of create this artificial worship experience. But I think deeply we know that that's not what worship is really about. It's about something deeper. And I think a lot of what the problem is, is it comes with worship, is it comes down to our understanding of what worship fundamentally is. To a lot of people, worship is just singing a music on a Sunday. And to some people, it's bigger than that. It's the worship service. But when we go back into our weeks, that's not what worship is. But actually, worship is absolutely fundamental to who we are and to the story that goes throughout the Bible. It comes up again and again and again and again, ultimately because we are created to worship. 
You get it in the Ten Commandments, for example. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. It's all about who you're choosing to worship. You shall have no idols. Then on the other side, so that's our relationship with God, but on the other side, God and Satan. Satan, in the story of the Bible, wants to be worshipped like God. It's this battle of worship. And now whilst we're on earth, there's this battle for who we are worshipping. It's not a case of whether we're worshipping or not. It's a case of who we direct our worship to. And when Satan was tempting Jesus, he said to him, bow down and worship me. Worship is fundamental to our lives. It's fundamental to the story of the Bible. And it's so much bigger than the songs we sing on the Sunday. But yet we can kind of look at the way that worship should be done from a biblical model and understand what is at the core of worship as a whole. You know, if we've got, we've got a band on a Sunday, if we start removing elements out of it, if we say, uh, let's get rid of the guitar, let's get rid of the bass, let's get rid of a singer, let's get rid of uh, the clarinet and the flute, then if David stops playing, at exactly which point does it stop being worship? Is it, at which point along the line does it say, oh, that's actually when worship stops? And this is a big question for us today because with the COVID restrictions, we're not allowed to sing together. And it's really, really difficult. When people start singing up the front, you naturally just go to sing. If we're not allowed to sing together, does that mean we're not allowed to worship? Because if that means we're not allowed to worship, then should we be following the government restrictions? What exactly does worship look like? And in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, it's going to come up on screen. Um, We have two sentences from Paul. And it's easy to look at it and dismiss it at first. It's kind of a bit of Paul waffle. But actually, it's so deep and rich and tells us so much about what worship is about. So it starts, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, you can say, riot or excess. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And some people use this this verse to support the argument that we shouldn't drink wine, which is a bit of a problem because, firstly, we we have communion. And secondly, one of of the first things Jesus does in John is to turn water into wine. So that's a bit of a problem. And that doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying. He's saying, do not get drunk on wine. But actually, fundamentally, it doesn't seem, to be doing, doesn't seem to be about getting drunk on wine. It seems to be about the context that they're in. In the days that Paul is writing this, there were groups of people who would worship the god Bacchus. And Bacchus was the god of wine. And so to worship the god of wine, they would themselves get drunk in order to be close to him. And they would go out into the streets, kind of wailing and screeching and singing in a wild way. That's what Paul is referring to when he says, do not get drunk on wine. So this whole passage is a contrast between, do not get drunk on wine like those people who worship Bacchus, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And it's not even, do not get drunk on wine once. It's more, do not be habitually, do not get habitually drunk on wine, but be habitually filled with the Spirit. So that's what we need to be. It's a habit of being filled with the Spirit. That's what worship is about. And then speak to one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not just to God, it's to each other. This is bizarre. I, didn't, I can't believe I didn't notice this before. It's to each other for the building up of the body of the church. There's a reason why we do this in church on a Sunday together. It's for the building up of the body. And when it says speak here, it doesn't necessarily just mean speak. It just means to make sound with your voice. So sometimes it's translated to sing. And then you get this idea of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we get this idea of style and content. 
There's a lot of disagreement about what exactly psalms are and hymns are and spiritual songs. Some people say that so psalms are like the Old Testament psalms and any songs that have a kind of psalm structure. And, then you get, and, they, and so the psalms could be accompanied by music and instruments. And then you get hymns, which tend to be more vocal in praise of God. And you get spiritual songs, which are songs or poems with spiritual content. So it doesn't seem to be really, really important which of these we pick. Style isn't the main core of the issue. The point here is truth. And so you get the people worshipping Bacchus. They're worshipping in a crazy way, saying these wild things, being drunk on wine. But instead, we are to be controlled, to be filled with the Spirit, to be speaking truth. And these are ways that we can speak truth and sing truth to each other. And then sing and make music in your heart or from your heart to the Lord. And this is absolutely fundamental, this whole heart idea. And we know this is true when we start talking about it. Sung worship is an outward expression of a heart reality. It's all about what's going on in our hearts. And if we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that's true. You know, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in your heart. Do not have any other idols before me in your heart. Do not cover your neighbor's goods in your heart. It's all about our hearts. So sing and make music from your heart to the Lord or to the glory of the Lord. So it's also to the Lord. So it's outward, it's horizontal, but it's also vertical. Always giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a fundamental element. To God the Father for everything, giving thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this model, so we're, we're filled, we're in the Spirit through Jesus to the Father. So we've got our hearts and we worship through our hearts in truth in the Spirit through Jesus to the Father. And if you want a really, really good summary of what worship looks like, uh, Jesus in John 4, 19 to 26 summarizes, summarizes it really, really well. And David is going to put it up on screen for us. So that's John 4, 19 to 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's talking about location. Does location matter for our worship? Well, we kind of know that God had a physical place in the temple in the Old Testament. So is worship important? It looks like worship isn't important. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not particularly about the location because we have the Holy Spirit. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father, and here it comes, in spirit and truth. This is fundamental to our worship. And when it says in spirit, it's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. It's more your spirit, so your hearts. Worship in your heart and worship in truth. That's how we are to worship the living God. And you know, when we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the distinction between our hearts, our spirits, and the Holy Spirit isn't so obvious. So that kind of makes sense. Worship in spirit and in truth. So it's a lifestyle. Do not be habitually drunk on wine, but habitually filled with spirit. It's the horizontal element for the body, and then it also goes vertically in the spirit through Jesus to the Father, in spirit and in truth. And I think a lot of the time, we get the truth part of it. We have the truth in our songs, in our liturgy, in the way that we worship. Throughout our lives, we know what the truth is in our heads, but we lose the heart element of it. We forget the God we're worshipping. Our God is amazing. 
He is the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. But he's also the Comforter, the Healer, the Good Shepherd and our Saviour. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When people come into his presence, they can't look at his face, they just bow down in worship to him. That is their response to him because he is so amazing and so powerful and he's just so much that you can't look at his face. This God that we're worshipping is astonishing. And our response to him oftentimes, instead of worshipping him in an astonishing way, in a profound way, in a really deep way, is kind of mild. It's kind of like a mild appreciation. Sometimes we lose the heart and we forget what's at the heart of everything. We sort of end up being lukewarm And there's this letter in Revelation, Jesus' letter to the seven churches. One is to Laodicea, and Jesus criticizes the church as being lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold for me. You're not passionate, and you're not against me. You're just kind of, ugh. And because you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. Our proper response to God is not being lukewarm. It's being passionately and deeply in love with him and worshiping him in spirit and truth from the bottom of our hearts. But maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you kind of feel like, you know, I've, I've been a Christian for a while. I really want to be a good Christian, but I, I really struggle with reading the Bible. You know, I, I, I just can't find it captivating. I just read it and I get bored and I get distracted and I wish it was something I wanted to read. I wish it was more engaging for me, but I just, I can't connect with it properly. Or maybe you struggle with prayer and you find, I'm just getting distracted all the time. You know, I, how do I worship you, God, properly the way you want me to worship you? And maybe you find, you know, I worship you on a Sunday, God, and I want you to be at the front of my life and the main thing in my life. But ultimately, I kind of get distracted with the worries and all the things. You know, I have kids and I have a family and I need to worry about money and my job and all these things and we get distracted. How do we come back to the heart of worship? In a minute, we have an opportunity to put our worship to God into practice which is super exciting. Sometimes when there's a preach, you kind of feel convicted and you want to do something and then you kind of forget about it when you go away. But we have an opportunity in a moment to worship God with our whole hearts. We may not use our voices, but we can use our hearts. So how do we do that well? How do we worship him? How does it become a lifestyle for the body, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, to the Father, in spirit and in truth? How do we get there from kind of mild, lukewarm Christianity to this passionate heart for God? I think it kind of comes down to this. When you're distracted by the world and everything in it and you want to be a passionate worshipper of God, just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Thank you. So David and the band are going to come back and um, we're going to stand and stand in God's presence and uh, listen to this song and bring him our worship from our hearts. Um, there's, a, there's a story about this song uh, that it was, uh, I don't know if I've said this already here, but um, it, was, it was written uh, by Matt Redman and it was written when he was at Soul Survivor, a church in Watford. And uh, he was a great worship leader, and they found that when he was leading worship, more people came to church. Uh, It was a church made up of young people, and whenever Matt led the worship, there was 
sort of 50% or possibly even 100% more people coming to worship. And, it, and, and that really worried them because the worship was then about Matt, 